0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb, and this is the Weekly Sermon from Gateway Community Church. We're excited to be able to share inspiring and meaningful messages to help you grow in Christ. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gatewaycrc.org. Now let's dive into God's Word together with this week's message. Psalm 71 In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge, to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress." Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth, I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth, you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your, for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, holy one of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you. I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Today, I don't know if you're aware of it, uh, today is a, uh, a holy day in, for, in the Jewish calendar. Uh, it is the day known as Tishba'av or the ninth of Ab, the month of Ab. Uh, Tishba'av is the day when uh, the Jewish people remember the destruction of the temple. Both the first temple, when Nebuchadnezzar came through with his forces, as well as the second temple, later in the second century A.D. Uh, But it's the day that they lament, and traditionally they would Read uh, from the book of Lamentations on this day. And it's a day when they reflect on those times in their past when they've been really thrown off balance, (laughs) when life has just thrown everything at them, When, when they've experienced the lowest of the low points in their history tishbaav it's a somber day in the jewish calendar well our our psalm today is about it's a psalm sort of a mix it's there's praise in here but there's also these i don't know if you noticed it these elements of these low points in the psalm when the psalmist is is kind of thrown off balance saying but Lord, and it goes up and down, and especially in the middle part of the psalm, it gets quite desperate. Lord, with the enemy saying, no one's going to rescue him. And the psalmist, but then recovers it, because of his faith in God, through his faith in God, recovers his balance. But he's, he's kind of going up and down and and, and reflecting in, 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 through these various circumstances. It's also a psalm. I don't know if you noticed as I read through it. it it's a psalm about aging. He, he mentions at several points in this psalm. Uh, about issues about aging. Verses 5 and 6. Verse five, I'll read those. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord. My confidence since my youth. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. And then verse 9. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. And then verses 17 and 18. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. To this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. And and it's as if the psalmist in this psalm is sort of reflecting on, I think he's sort of about 60 Maybe that's because I'm sort of about 60. So I resonate with him here. um, And I think of it as later middle-aged. Now my three sons tell me, all tell me all the time, middle-aged has nothing to do with the conversation when it comes to you, Dad. But be that as it may, I like to think of it as later middle-aged. But he's kind of looking back at walking with God from his very birth and then how God has continued to carry him through and then he looks ahead at the future and what's coming, old age. He knows what's coming. A weaker time, physically, certainly. You know, I just was back, I was on a, uh, uh, our going, we went and spent some time on one of the islands, the Southern Gulf Islands recently, and we go hiking a lot. Or, you know, they're not steep climbs, but they're, they're hilly, and we go through the trails. And one of the things I've noticed as I I am aging, I have to acknowledge that. Probably pretty obvious to you, but I don't always, I'm not always as willing to admit it. But one of the things I've noticed is, as I hike now, whereas I used to kind of just skip across stones and tree roots and things, I just have to be a little more careful than I used to. My balance isn't quite what it used to be. And I have to kind of, Watch my step as I'm going along. Maybe some of you can relate to that. I'm not using a walker yet or a cane, but it's, you know, it's that point. I, I still, I just have to be more careful as I'm walking because I can lose my balance more easily. And that's part of what happens with age, right? It's, uh, it's a time when, well, in David's life, and we don't know if this psalm was, is a psalm of David. Some suspect it is. Uh, there's no title at the front saying it's by David. However, Psalms 70 and 71 are actually often, and in some of the ancient manuscripts, they're put together as one psalm. And many, in many liturgies, ancient liturgies, Psalms 70 and 71 are always read together. We should have probably read both of them. Psalm 70, then, says very clearly, for the director of music, of David, a petition. So that has led many to say, see this Psalm 71 as well as having some kind of a connection with David. And you think of David in his life. In 2 Samuel 21, David is... He, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of stories in 2 Samuel 21. It's sort of like this catalog of little vignettes about wars and fighting great warriors and Israel getting the victory over this, this tribe or that or whatever. And, and, and it's just a bunch of little stories. But in the middle of that, tucked in the midst of that chapter 21 of 2 Samuel, there's a story about one point where David, King David, goes out with his forces onto the battlefield and... He's almost overwhelmed by one of the enemy warriors. This great enemy warrior comes, and David is at the point of being defeated, and one of his co-warriors comes along and saves his life, and David escapes. Then he goes back, and his, his warriors say to him, you're not going out to battle with us again, okay? Because we don't want the lamp of Israel to be snuffed out. David, you're not the warrior you once were. You're getting older. You just don't have the strength anymore. And it's as if at this point in David's life if if he's connect however he's connected with this psalm, he's saying, "Yeah, from birth I I walked but so things aren't always easy, and, and I still have to cling to God maybe even more and more as I approach the latter part of my life. Now, I recognize that not everyone has you know, lived your life from birth to, to latter stages of your life, in walking with God. But it, it, we all go through a maturing process, whatever that might be. For, for me, I can relate from birth right through on, looking ahead to the future. But I know I'm not as strong as I used to be. Climbing those gangways up to the top of the ship is getting harder, not easier. And it's, it can be strenuous. The strength just isn't quite there like it used to be. And yet, trusting God throughout, throughout life. It's sort of like the psalmist in Psalm 37, where the psalmist says, I was young, and now I am old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. Common themes throughout the Psalms. How God looks after his people. Even in the midst of growing weakness, if you will. Now there's a lot in this Psalm about enemies, you may have noticed. The enemies that are around and surrounding uh, David, if it is, or whoever is writing this, uh, or the people of Israel. And I always struggle with what to do about the enemies, and they're all over in the Psalms. You've probably read them and noticed that. But who who are the enemies? Or how do we relate to that? Who are our enemies? I've been thinking about this recently. Uh, Some of You're all aware, I'm sure, of the the war that's going on in Ukraine. And I, I wonder how Ukrainian Christians hear these words of the psalmist about an enemy, the enemies. Undoubtedly, they do. And I I think of the seafarers I meet often from Myanmar. Myanmar, where there's this horrible, horribly repressive regime is in control. And, And the seafarers share with me, I had a guy just recently share, he said, we have no hope Because of what they're doing. The killing that's going on. Boy, for them, I think this talk of enemies is probably so real. Or whatever form of persecution. Or maybe it's an illness that becomes this incredible enemy. It is the enemy. And ultimately, death is the enemy. For me, when I read this, I tend to... To interpret it personally uh, more for me in the sense of the enemy as the the enemy of the evil one <laughs> and evil and sin as a power and a force, and that 's something I think we can all relate to if, if we do, even if we don 't have personal enemies around us, but that that sense of the the oppressive power of the evil one and evil and sin as it. As it's constantly battling against our lives. Whatever it is for you, it is a reality. But as we're getting older, what, what, one of the things we're probably all aware of, especially those of us who are advancing in age, is that aging does not make faith easier It doesn't get easier to believe. I used to think, I think when I was younger, that, well, once you get old, I mean, you've been in it for so long, you just kind of carry on, and you're just easily credulous of everything else, and you believe what, it's easy to believe. It's not true. It does not get easier to believe. In some ways, it gets even more challenging as life batters us. It's not easy. Life wears at faith. I think of the great example again from the Old Testament is King Solomon. If you remember the story, King Solomon who had all that wealth and wisdom and uh, the, the peaceful kingdom and many wives. I mean, who could be happier, right? But what happens? Remember, towards the end of his life... In 1 Kings 11, it's King Solomon who intermarries with so many wives from so many different religious backgrounds that he's drawn away. And the book of Kings says, Solomon, of all people, Solomon, who twice had a vision of God, God spoke to him directly. And yet, at the end of his life, it's Solomon who begins to, to drift away. His heart is not wholly dedicated to God. It doesn't get easier. And that's why Jesus says in Luke 18 when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? It's, it's a hanging question. <laughs> will he? Or you think of Revelation chapter 2, the, the message, the letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus when he says, you've lost your first love. Your, your love has grown cold. What's happening, people? Life wears at us. There was a, a recent article in Christianity Today about how the we, we tend to look at the, the younger generations, whether it's the millennials or Gen Z or whatever, and they're just drifting away. One of the biggest demographics now that's leaving the church is actually the boomers, my generation and older. They're the ones who actually as much or more than others are, are leaving the church and sometimes even leaving the faith. It doesn't get easier as one gets older. That's why we have to stay, stay vigilant. But what the psalmist underscores is, yet there is profound blessing in living a lifelong devotion to God. And that's the focus of this psalm. In spite of everything that I've experienced, and some of it he blames on God, you've made me see many troubles. And yet in spite of all of that, he lives a life of devotion. He sees God's faithfulness. Because he says, continually, always I see this, and that term comes up several times. There's a couple of terms. One of them is continually. Verse 3 of this psalm. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Continually is the way I like to uh, translate that that Hebrew uh, term. Continually go. Verse 6. From birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will continually praise you. I will ever praise you and then verse 14 as for me I will always I will continually have hope and that theme comes up over and over it's the same term in Hebrew the other one is all day long or all the day the same kind of idea right that comes up in verse 8 my mouth is filled with your praise declaring your splendor All the day, all day long. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts, all day long. And then finally, verse 24, my tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, all the day. And it's this idea of of he's just continually reminding himself, calling to mind and praising God for God's faithfulness continually focusing on the goodness of God towards him. Because God has been faithful from birth on, and he knows, the psalmist knows, God will continue to do that. I like to use the analogy of marriage here, a good marriage. And I don't want to... To, to belittle in any way or minimize the reality that not all marriages are good marriages or always good, okay? That there are struggles and some break down. But when a marriage is works well, it's as if you, over time, you just, you know this spouse <laughs> and you know you can trust them that they're they are faithful. They're going to be faithful. When you first get married, remember those days? It's kind of scary, isn't it? Because it's exciting, but it's also, I don't really know this person. Is my wife a covert international spy? I can't. In fact, I still can't prove she's not but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) In fact, I'm really confident she's not a covert spy. Okay? But that's part of living together all these years and knowing that I can trust her. And as life goes on and, and we live faithful lives together, I know that I can rely on her. And I think she knows the same of me And now that's just an imperfect but a human metaphor, a picture of what God is like. When you walk with God and see his faithfulness as the psalmist reflects on that, he says, he's not going to let me down now. I know I can trust God to be faithful. Because of that then, the psalmist reflects on how Throughout his life then, he is more and more forced to be utterly dependent on God. To completely rely on God for all his strength and to look to God at all times. That his, his, his dependence is on God and God alone. Now that comes up over and over again in the Psalms. Uh, there's many common themes that how we rely, we depend on him. You, you caught the themes, right? That God is my rock, he's my refuge, he's my fortress, all those familiar metaphors. And they come up all through the Psalms. In fact, if you look at Psalm 31, if you want to reflect on that on your own, Psalm 31, the first couple of verses of Psalm 31 are almost identical to the opening verses of Psalm 71. Again, picking up those same psalm type of, of themes and so he has this total dependence on God, the God who will save through his profound power, and that, he says, is our only hope, to rely on God totally. Total, total dependence on God. Uh, a while back, I watched a movie. Uh, it's uh, Andrew Garfield stars in it. It's, it's, it was entitled Breathe... Breathe. And it's the true, based on the true story of a, a British man by the name of Robin Cavendish. And Cavendish was a, an active, very active, vibrant uh, life, and he was physically active um, in the 1950s. When he was, tw- I think he was 28 years old in the 50s, he was struck with polio. And this is. Early on, right, in the time of polio, and he was struck down to the extent that he had to have the, the, the breathing apparatus, the iron lung. And he's stuck in the hospital in bed, and all he can do is move his head a little bit, and of course, talk, and, but that's, it's just his head and limited what he can do. That's it. And he's lying in this this bed, and and his story is that eventually he became a, really an advocate for uh, disability rights and and helping people with disabilities. He developed a, a wheelchair with a breathing apparatus on it, so he could actually go outside and travel. And he became he was quite an adventurous guy and lived this quite a remarkable life. But what struck me on that in that movie was how. Utterly dependent, he was on everyone else for his very life. There's one point in the movie where he, he's going outside and they have to disconnect him from the, the one-breathing apparatus, and they're gonna connect him again, but they don't they didn't get there, or I can't remember what exactly happened. But so they have to use this one of those, you know, those fireplace things to pump him up. And somebody's doing this as they're going along and he's saying, whoa, slow down, I'm not a balloon. You're going to blow me up here. and, 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 and you know. But he can't, he can't even breathe on his own. He does nothing. Completely dependent. And to me, that was a reminder of, wow. In reality, we are just as utterly dependent, aren't we? For our very life and breath. We don't realize it very often. But we are totally dependent on God. Now we don't like, typically people don't like to admit how dependent they are, we are. I have a, we had a next door neighbor uh, we've moved since, but we've kept in touch with them. They're very good friends, very close. We still were going to the uh, re- wedding reception for their daughter here in a couple of weeks. Um, so we've kept a, w- up with them very much. But um, they were, he was a complete atheist. He still is, as far as I know. And so we would have these big discussions and debates about, you know, faith or Atheism, or does God exist, and all this stuff, and then we'd have a meal together and, and stay good friends. But I remember specifically at one time, I was talking, we were talking about faith and what it means, and he said this He said, I never want to have a crutch. I don't want to depend on anyone else. I will look after myself. And I thought, whoa. How long can that go on? We depend on God for everything. We just forget it so quickly. And the psalmist here, and one of the things that aging, I think, does is it, it reminds us more and more, yes, we do depend on God, and he's the only one who can carry us through all of life. What particularly, though, becomes the focus in this psalm is this focus on God's righteousness or his righteous deeds, his righteous acts. Five times that term, your righteousness, comes up in this psalm. Verse 2, in your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear and save me. Verse 15, my mouth will tell of, literally, of your righteousness. Here, the translation is of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. And then verse 16, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, is the Hebrew. Or your righteous deeds, is the way it's translated. Verse 19, your righteousness, God. Reaches to the heavens. And then finally verse 24. My tongue will tell of your righteousness. The translation is of your righteous acts. Of your righteousness. And that comes up, like I said, five times throughout this psalm. Now I think it's fair that they translate it often as your righteous deeds or your righteous acts. But it's all the same term. Because it is about God's righteousness as righteous deeds saving acts done on our behalf, on behalf of God's people. This is the kind of good, righteous God that we, we serve and we follow, the God who works for us. I particularly like the, uh, verse 24. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long. My tongue will tell. Except the, the verb there isn't literally the verb tell in Hebrew. The verb that's used in the Hebrew is actually, that's a hard one to translate, because most of the time it's translated as meditate. Psalm 1, and uh, the, the good man, the righteous man, on your law, he meditates day and night. Remember, from Psalm 1, that wisdom psalm. But it's my tongue. (laughs) My tongue will meditate. It's interesting. In Isaiah uh, 31, there's a a verse there where it talks about how God is with the, the enemy nations. And it says, like a lion growls over its prey. But the word is meditates. And it's like that sense of you know, when, when they're kind of uh, eating, we, we just, we, a friend came, spent a couple days with us uh, on the island, and, and, and she's a foodie. You know these foodies? They really like food, and they like all kinds of really good food. And she makes food noise. Like, there's lots of, mmm, oh, yeah, it's good, you know? And, and she eats that way. And we were, we were making comments. said, oh yeah, everybody says that about me. I always, you know. But it's like the, the lion. They're, they're, they've got their prey. And they're gnawing away. And they're just really. They're kind of. Groaning over it. Uh, um, one, one commentator talks about it. It's like a dog over a bone. Just working away at that bone. And loving every minute of it. So I translated this verse as, my tongue all the day will meditatively moan of your righteousness. I just dwell on it and relish it because it's so good. Your righteousness, your righteous deeds, your saving acts, your work of deliverance and rescue God. Well now, if you think about that, God's righteousness a couple of other verses come, came to mind. One is a verse from Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46. Listen to me, you stubborn hearted. You who are now far from my righteousness. I am bringing my righteousness near. It is not far away. And my salvation will not be delayed. I will grant salvation to Zion, my splendor to Israel. I'm bringing my righteousness near, God says. Because of your unrighteousness, I'm going to bring my righteousness near. Now, the immediate context there, of course, in Isaiah, is the exile. They've been cast out of Israel, and, and now God's coming back saying, I'm going to bring, I'm going to do the saving... But, of course, that looks ahead, too, to a greater righteousness, doesn't it? And I wanted to quickly read this verse from Romans. Romans chapter 3. Familiar words. Again, talking about God's righteousness. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all Who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Talk about the greatest righteous act of all in Jesus Christ, so that his righteousness becomes literally our. Righteousness. All because of Jesus Christ, God's greatest saving act of all. And the other point, just finally, is that it's God's righteousness. God is the one bringing the righteousness, not us, not the king. Not anyone else. It is literally God's righteousness. It is all about him. You know, I've been listening to... Uh, I'd listened through the the podcast. It's been very popular and with many in, the, in Christian circles. Uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And it tells the story of, of that church, that movement really. Start, began out of Seattle and then it just imploded horribly. And what went wrong. And there have been a lot of episodes. And then there have been a number of bonus episodes. And one of the last episodes, Mike Cosper talking with someone else. They reflect on how the modern church's almost obsession with success and celebrity has led to so many of these catastrophic downfalls. Because it becomes so much more of the individual or what we, the church, are doing. Wait a minute, says the psalmist. It has nothing to do with what I'm doing. I'm weak. I'm getting older. This is all about God. This is what God is doing. And we always have to remember that. I struggle with this as the chaplain for the Ministry to Seafarers, which is a role I love. But it's really easy to start promoting it and saying, look, look what I'm doing. Look what the Ministry to Seafarers is doing. But wait a minute. Look what God is doing in the port of Vancouver and in other ports around the world. Look what God is accomplishing. In the lives of seafarers, working towards seafarers' welfare, working through frail individuals like me and others, but, and through you even. But this is all about God. A number of years ago, uh, uh, Rohinton Mistry, the Canadian author, wrote uh, of South Asian descent. He wrote a book entitled, A Fine Balance some of you may have read that in the past a fine balance and it's this story of of the time of crisis in India in the 1970s under Indira Gandhi and when they had the uh, uh, you know they had time of the emergency and all of that and and it was a time of some corruption and crisis really for India and it's sort of had these four lives that intersect in the midst of that but it's wow it, it's just Things go from bad to worse, and lives just get battered down. And it's, it, it is a, a book about sort of human resilience in the midst of all that. But it's a fine balance. Boy, you're just doing everything you can to, to keep your balance. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's tough. But I, I have to confess, you're, you're left at the end of the book. I felt like Now it's been a while since I read it. But it, it, you're left with this sort of... Well, what's next? What are you going to hang on to next? Because ultimately, if we hang on to ourselves, like my neighbor, how long can that go on? But if you've got a godly balance, that fine balance that rests on God, depends on him, that's the only rock, one of the metaphors that's used that will stand firm. And I pray that will be your, your rock as a church, as families, as individuals. May God bless you as you seek to serve him and to find your balance in a, in a challenging world. Because I tell you, this psalm just ends in praise. It, it, again, you know, it goes up and down, but look at it towards the end. It's just full of praise for the goodness of God. Well, here at Gateway, it is our sincere hope that you would be built up in your faith and in your walk before Christ through this message and every day as you study God's Word. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time for the weekly sermon at Gateway.